get started. Listen, we just ended um, 30 days of prayer, and uh, I'm coming to you from my back patio here, so there might be the sound of cars being washed, grass being cut, kids might even run in, but I wanted to encourage everyone, um, I feel like right now we're in a moment. If you are living in and on planet Earth right now, you probably realize that we are in a moment um, and that, you know, um, the Lord is definitely up to something. The Lord is moving right now. And um, I, I just want to jump into something the Lord shared with me out of Luke 19 real quick. And I think this could be um, I think this could be very impactful. Um, I think this could be you know, super, super helpful for you guys. So um, it looks like I'm good. I'm just making sure my, we got people on here and my mic's working. So good deal. Thanks for jumping on guys. I see you commenting, share this if you will. But I want to jump in and share really quickly on Luke 19. I just feel this is a now word. We're about to do Bourbon Street Revival tomorrow night uh, and Monday night. Um, so we're kind of, I feel like we're kind of back, you know, the, the pandemic has caused us to do a lot of private events. We've had to keep it on wraps. We've, you know, done secret prayer meetings. Um, I have no issue going outside. I think one of the reasons we've not pivoted to that, um, and, and doing outdoor stuff, even though, as you guys know, that's kind of our MO and has been for a long time is going outdoors. Um, with Bourbon Street Revival, the Lord's been, you know, real clear with us about stewarding that place and really sticking to that geographical place. Um, obviously, we're going to be back to gathering outdoors. We do Jackson Square. You guys know we do, um, you know, all over the French Quarter, and, um, and, and that's awesome. But Bourbon Street Revival feels to me like um, it, it's its own thing. It's something about um, revival that remains a mystery to me. I'm not sure, you know, why the Lord... Um, is just the his presence is different in 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 different places but it's it's surely true you know you can look at first samuel chapter 20 and see that when saul got into the presence of uh ramah which was the city where samuel lived and was training the school of the prophets you'll find out that um you know, Saul went to get David there in Ramah, and the Bible says that when he got to the well that is in Saku, which is, you know, a few miles outside of Ramah, he already felt the change in the geographical region, the atmosphere of the prophetic, so that what had happened in 1 Samuel 10, where Saul was changed into another man as he encountered the band musician, you know, musician band of prophets coming from the high place, the same thing was happening over a whole region in Ramon, 1 Samuel 19. And you can read about that. I, I teach about that in various other places. And I might even start hitting that again here soon. But the point is that it's it's real. It's it's a real thing. There's something about geographical regions, territories that the Lord is just, um, he, 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 he comes and he, he rests on those places. Um, yeah, some of it is a mystery. I don't know why, you know, I've asked many times before in the past, is God in revival? Is God on a people? Is he on a place? Is he on a, you know, a moment? And the answer to that is yes to all. Um, so we're going to leave that to the Lord. I just know this, you can't experience what's happening at Bourbon Street unless you're there. Um, 
it truly is like the house that Jesus was at when the house was packed and you had to cut a hole in the roof to get your, you know, uh, crippled friend in. We know that story from the gospels. This is really that there's, there's just something about it. I'm going, Lord, we could host so many more people. You know, we could, we could, the place could be nicer. We could accommodate children. We could accommodate this. We could accommodate that parking could be easier. You know, all of these other things that I've in some ways lamented at times, um, I've, I've just come to understand that this is what it is and, and, and God's doing what he's doing. And I want to start in Luke uh, 19 because I feel like it really uh, speaks to what the Lord's doing with us. We've been in 30 days of prayer, so we're about to, and that was on the word of the Lord. This, this was not on an idea or a good plan. The Lord was clear. This was a Samson's push. I received a prophetic word from a very trusted prophet about revival as in the days of Finney being poured out. You know, we're already in revival, but I thought, God, there has to be another level to this thing. And we as we steward it. And so with that being said, we've trusted that um, the prophet's words to to me was, you know, six months after the, the initial lockdown lifted for us was um, six months, 180 days for 180 degree turnaround, the prophet had told us. And he said um, that you would seek God in that time and that there would be a time of, of prayer and of fasting. And that from that point, God was going to pour out revival as in the days of Finney. And so we knew there was a Father Nash linked to Charles Finney revival, that prayer, that intercession. If you don't know, Father Nash was, of course, one of the lead intercessors for Charles Finney's uh, revival campaigns throughout the Second Great Awakening. And so for us, we're very aware that there was going to be a prayer push. And so we've called this last 30 days, we were at Bourbon Street. You know, we weren't praying on the phone. We weren't doing conference calls. We were praying from the bar. And so um, it was a Samson's push, right? This last big push. And I believe we, we, we did it. And we're here. We've done the, the we've done a month of prayer, pushing to this. And I believe the moment um, that God wants to pour out begins tomorrow. I've, I feel that. I feel it's a new wave and a new a new a whole new tsunami of revival taking us into this next season. Of I'm not so much looking at the inauguration of who becomes president. I'm looking at the inauguration of a brand new day of revival um, in America. Um, I, I, I'm not going to be political, even though the, the temptation to share our political opinions and, and convictions is strong right now. I, I am an advocate for the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God first. You know, Jesus looked at the coin and, I, and I'm again, I'm not saying don't be involved in politics. I'm not saying any of that stuff, um, but I can only speak from where the Lord has given me revelation and what the Lord has called me to do. And the Lord has called me to be a revivalist and the Lord has called me to be a priest and to build him a place um, in the darkest places of the earth and to build a habitation from the visitation of his presence. And, and so that's what we're called to do. You know, they tried to catch Jesus in this and his political, you know, where did he stand? And we all know in Luke 20, they come and they say, you know, he goes, whose image is on the coin? And they said, it bears the image of Caesar. He said, well, give to, to Caesar what is Caesar's. And then they say, he said, but you bear the image of God. You bear the image of God. So give to God what is God's. God gets our whole life. Um, you know, the government politics that, that can have a certain portion, but let's treat it like dessert. Let's not pretend like God can't win with any single hand, okay? 
he can win with whoever is president, whoever's in, in leadership and in, in, in governmental leadership. Yes, we should vote. Yes, we should make our voice heard. But at the same time, we have to understand we're citizens of a different nation, of a different kingdom. And I know that that sounds so uh, revolutionary in a way. It sounds so radical. It almost sounds... Um, it can sound ignorant, and for fear of sounding ignorant, um, I've I've kind of held back. But I, I feel like the Lord has given me boldness to say, "No, the kingdom of God goes forward, and Jesus is coming into our cities. He's coming in." And I, I want to share this word of what I feel is happening in our community here in New Orleans, in the midst of this revival, in the midst of God moving. Um, I was taken to Luke eighteen, Luke nineteen. And in Luke 19, uh, verse 31, Jesus sends the disciples to get a donkey, right? To get a young colt. We all know the story. And he says, you're going to find in this village, this young colt, a donkey's young colt that's never been ridden, right? And he says, when they ask you what you're doing, you'll tell them it is needed for the Lord of all. And so the disciples go, they get the young colt. And when they're asked why they're doing what they're doing, the disciples reply, as the Lord said, they said, we need the donkey for the Lord of all. So with that being said, um, I, I was taken back to when the bar, uh, when the Bourbon Street Revival first happened, because as you know, the, the man that runs the bar got saved, gave his life to Jesus. And in the midst of doing that, uh, he had a dream and the Lord came to um, the bar owner of Saints and Sinners and said, don't sell the bar, don't get out of this business for I have need of the bar. I have need of it. And I've always likened that story to this scripture. Um, of course, this man, when he was told that, didn't know the scriptures, but the Lord said, I have need of it. And um, this bar had surely never before been used for uh, worship, for church, anything of, the, of, of that matter. In fact, really nowhere on Bourbon Street has. And th the truth is, is that Jesus had a plan for this bar this place was a brothel for 80 years. It was a stronghold of the enemy right across the street. Um, you know, there's a voodoo shop. I mean, we are literally in the thick of a intense, spiritually dense place in the French Quarter in New Orleans. Um, you're not just contending with, you know, principalities and spiritual darkness of, of uh, you know, debauchery, but it, there's real witchcraft, real, real evil, um, and, and, and just you know, strip clubs up and down the way. It, it, it's absolutely insane. You couldn't find a darker place, I don't think, if you tried. The, there's so much darkness, and here we are right in the middle of it, and God's saying, this bar, I have need of it. And something I found interesting in Luke 19 is it says this in verse 35 and 36. It says, they brought the cult to Jesus, and then they placed their prayer shawls on its back. They placed their prayer shawls on the back of the colt that Jesus would ride into the city as he rode down the Mount of Olives towards Jerusalem. This was a triumphant entry. You got to think about this, that it's the time of Passover. I mean, Jesus is coming in to Jerusalem and it says this, as he rode along, people spontaneously threw their prayer shawls in the path in front of him like a carpet. So he was, the prayer, these prayer shawls obviously representing the prayer of the saints. Prayer is what caused the roadway for Jesus to come into the city. Many people ask me, how did Bourbon Street start? 
So much of Bourbon Street was sovereign. And I'm reminded, I was reminded this morning in prayer at Bourbon Street that so much of it is, it really is sovereign. And so there's this sovereign thing of God's going to do it no matter what, but it never comes without the proceeding of the prayers of the saints because that too is initiated by the Lord. And and so often I know many get so tired of of hearing about revival and hearing about, you know, God's coming, God's coming, he's doing something new. And we sometimes get hope deferred because we go through seasons of prayer and we don't see the answer. And I think there's two reasons. I think there's two things happening. God is either preparing a people, a company, a tribe, a remnant of people to pray for revival, but it's, it's, God-given prayer for revival. Uh, it's it's God is stoking the heart of a people to 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 be in revival, and if we're not seeing it, there's two things. One, He might be calling us to pray for the revival that's supposed to land on someone else, and we have to be okay with that, or somewhere in in relation to where we're at. There's been many people that have. Um, prayed for revival and not seen it because it's landed on the church next door. And so what happens is, is I feel like we have, I know I've prayed many times, many times I've prayed, you know, Lord, you've got to come in this city, come in this city, bring revival, and we don't see it. And I often wonder if if the latter is not that we're praying for the thing that lands on someone else, even though that does happen. Let me be clear. There are many times that uh, you and I pray for something. We even labor for something. We're sowing for something and the reaping comes to another. And that proves to us that this kingdom of God is not about us. God is using us because he delights in intimacy. He doesn't need sacrifice. He wants obedience. Why? Because obedience, the very nature of hearing and obeying the Lord is that we're hearing his word and we're responding to what he's doing. And our response, our yes to Jesus, our obedience, that response is the definition of intimacy. It's it's communication. Communication is the bedrock of relationship. If you don't talk, if you don't hear, you're not in relationship. So that's why I believe it's so important for us to realize I've been in a place in my life where I've sown and sown and sown in prayer and, and, and labored for something. And that thing God had reserved for another. This is Hebrews 11. It says that, you know, we're the fulfillment of those who have gone before us. We're the fulfillment of their promises. They aren't made perfect. They're not made complete in what they labored for without us picking up the baton where they went. You understand? The other reason I believe we don't see a move of God when we've labored in prayer and labored for that thing is because we simply miss when he comes into our cities. We miss how he comes in. There will never be a true move of God that does not come in a package or riding on something that does not offend our flesh. I'm telling you, the move of God will always come in a way that first challenges our flesh. Remember, John had to send his disciples once he went into prison. He had to send his disciples to Jesus to ask them this. Is this the is this the one? Are you the one or should we wait for another? Why is that important? That's important because look, 
the revival, the Messiah coming to earth did not look like John the Baptist thought it was going to look. So Jesus had to send back his messengers to John and say, listen, the sick are healed, the dead are raised, the lepers cleansed, the poor have the gospel preached to them. You tell John, this is what my kingdom looks like. It doesn't look like taking over Rome. It looks like leaven being sown in a lump of dough. It doesn't look like conquering the nations with an iron rod as, as was prophesied. This thing looks different. I will rule the nations, but my kingdom comes different than you think. It always comes in a package that's offensive to the flesh. You fast forward, Look in Luke 19, where we're talking out of today, and understand Jesus is writing in on the prayers of the saints. He was seated on the prayer shawls of his disciples. So he was seated on the prayer of his people. There's two things, prayer and worship. But they laid out spontaneously, the Bible says, prayer shawls for the Lord to walk over all the way into Jerusalem. If that's not a prophetic act, I don't know what is. But not only was there prayer, there was worship exploding. Whenever Jesus comes into our cities, you're going to always see a worship movement take place. I believe a fresh sound of worship, a new sound of worship, even a new... Um, even a new freshness in worship always comes when the Lord comes into our cities fresh with revival. Whenever he comes, there's always this spontaneous, God-given, God-fueled, grace-fueled prayer as well as worship. So Jesus is writing into our cities. Why don't we see? We said, well, I've prayed. I've prayed for the Lord to come and I didn't see maybe the Lord came writing in on your prayers, but he came writing in on something so small, insignificant, and not befitting of things that you would liken God unto. And so because he came in in that way, you couldn't receive him. Kings don't make their triumphant entry into cities on the back of a cult of a small young donkey that's never been ridden before. They come in on war horses, on beautiful steeds that are riding into the city to show forth their glory. And here's the king of glory, the maker of heaven and earth, the creator God literally riding into the city on something that that we would never expect even a normal person to ride. Now, now think of this. How often does the Lord, when we pray, we make a way in prayer and then he rides in to our city and we can't receive him because it doesn't look the way we thought it would look. I've been beating this drum for years now and I feel like I don't know any other way to say it. I don't know any other way to say that I'm convinced that the Lord wants to come to your city more than you want him to. If that's the case, then why do we feel our prayers are in vain? These two reasons. It lands in a way that we don't receive or on a person or another people group that we could say there's no way it landed on them. They did no they didn't do the work for it. Welcome to the 11th hour God, you know. This is the story of the 11th hour of revival like there are those who bore the heat of the day to labor for something, but they get paid the same amount if they're not offended because God says in the parable of the 11th hour worker, he says, it's my money to do what I wish with. It's, it's, I choose who I give 
uh, to and how much. So who are you to say, I agreed with you that you would be able to experience this and get paid this wage if you would simply work for the hours we agreed on. And of course, we see that they were angry. And this is the heart. And guys, I've been this way. You know, I talk all the time about my personal story. And I know this is an ongoing thing that we'll all we'll all live with and live through. And God will test us. He will say, if you are willing to sow, are you okay to sow if another man reaps? I mean, to be in a place um, in New Orleans where I feel like I've done very little sowing, you know, I feel like it's been the reaping. I'm, I'm aware that my sowing elsewhere qualified me, really my obedience qualified me to participate in what the Lord is doing now, where I really have no, no clout. I didn't work the heat of the day. And this is true of us. God will send us places to labor in prayer and labor in ministry many times um, where we're not going to see the, the direct fruit of it. And we know God will take us through valleys so that we can teach those who come behind us that the valley of weeping would be turned into a spring, into a well for others. This is the whole gospel, right? Like we pay a price so another might benefit. This is the cross. This is the gospel. Jesus pays the price that we may benefit. And so think of Jesus coming into the cities, coming into Jerusalem. Guys, this gets so good. This struck me in prayer the other day. And I feel it's a word for us. And, and I feel it's a word for many who are about to experience the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in their churches, in their cities. And this is what happened. Jesus is coming in to the city, and it says in verse 37, Luke 19, 37, as soon as he got to the bottom of the Mount of Olives, the crowds of his followers shouted with a loud outburst of ecstatic joy over all the mighty wonders of power they'd witnessed. They shouted and worshiped over and over saying, highest praises to God for the one who comes as king in the name of the Lord. Heaven's peace and glory from the highest realm now come to us. Some Jewish religious leaders who stood afar off from the procession said to Jesus, Teacher, you must order your followers at once to stop saying these things. They Look, they, the religious of his day, who they were the ones who had labored in prayer, right? They're the ones that pray three times a day for the Messiah to come. Now the answer to their prayer is walking into their city, the very thing they prayed for, but they don't recognize it. The people who didn't pray for the move of God are the ones actually experiencing it. Isn't it ironic that the religious leaders who said they longed for the Messiah actually get to see the Messiah but now the ones, the, the, the lay people, right? The, 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 the people who aren't religious leaders, they're not scholars, they're not you know, Sadducees, Pharisees, they're, they're not learned, right? They're unlearned in the law. They recognize the move of God before the people who prayed for it did. Why? Because their expectation is wide open. Their eyes are as little children. They're able to see what others cannot see. And I fear that the Lord is walking past many of us right now saying, will you receive me? Will you, do you want to be a part of what I'm doing? Or do you, are you going to sit by and critique and, and always, see, this is a, this is a symptom I feel like Facebook and social media and Instagram, one of the things that's funny about social media I found, especially in the last few years, 
is people don't speak to other people the way you would in real life. I have literally had people on my posts um, in the last six months to a year get on and say, you know, all kinds of wild stuff like, this is wrong. This is not right. This is the dumbest thing I've ever read. This is this is stupid. You know, this is ridiculous. What are you talking? And I don't know these people. And I'm I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if you have enough guts to say that to me in person. Because the truth is, is I've gotten a lot of emails about, you know, people that may have a problem about, you know, maybe what I've spoke on or how I've chose to, to, to live or, you know, go after God in certain ways or preach certain things. And, and I've had people email and want to correct me theologically. And look, I welcome a, a, a lot of that. That's, that's wonderful. I love healthy dialogue. But look, no one's walking up to me after I preach and say, Chris, I, I just, you don't know me, but I just like you to know that that was the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. I mean, it's like, we don't talk to people like that. You don't do that in real life. And part of the problem is that I think we've become so critical of a culture, especially behind our keyboard. All of our, our, us keyboard warriors, we're hiding behind our phones, we'll speak our mind. And it, it's almost become normal to just nitpick and critique and critique and critique. And I'm afraid that with that critiquing spirit, what happens is God will show us he's moving. We hear about Bourbon Street Revival. We hear about God breaking out in different moves in California or here and there, or all over the nation, God's moving. And yet here we are, we're so quick to critique of, of the son of God himself into Jerusalem. Uh, this carries so many layers, but I, I won't go into it. But he comes riding such a, a lowly looking creature. We would never expect the Lord to come in like that. And then all the people who don't know the law, they're the ones shouting while the religious people are going, no, this can't be God. And they're telling Jesus himself, they're speaking to the move of God himself, which by the way, we need to get this right. The move of God, the presence of God is not some essence. It's not some oil or wine. He is the oil. He is the wine. He is the move of God. He is. It is the manifest person of Jesus coming into our cities. And we have all these, these stumbling blocks that get to us. You know, we have all these hoops that have to be jumped through in our minds and we don't even realize it. And when they tell Jesus, they say, tell your followers to stop behaving like this. There's no way this is okay. You can't tell me that you think this is okay. And Jesus responded in verse 40, he says, listen to me. If my followers were silenced right now, the very stones would break forth with praises. And th this is where the rocks cry out thing comes from, because Jesus is saying, listen, all of the earth is groaning and the people who follow me, who see what I'm doing right now, they are responding rightly. They're responding rightly. They're not responding with critique, with judgment. They're not responding with jealousy. They're not responding in any other way than what is necessary for this moment. And this is what I want to say about revival. If we do not respond rightly when he walks into to the room, we will not sustain a move of God and we will experience very little. If we don't, here's what'll happen. If Jesus walks into our churches and into our cities and begins a move of the Holy Spirit and pours his spirit out and brings the true move of God, a true revival, true awakening in our cities, 
I'm concerned that many of us would miss it and will settle for a good meeting rather than a habitation. How do we recognize? We have to have eyes to see, and this is what I want to read to you out of Luke 19, verse 41, down to... um, down to verse 44, and I just want to read this. When Jesus caught sight of the city, he burst into tears with uncontrollable weeping over Jerusalem, saying, if only you could recognize that this day peace is within your reach, but you cannot see it. For the day is soon coming when your enemies will surround you, pressing you on every side and laying siege to you. They will crush you to pieces and your children too. And when they leave, your city will be totally destroyed. And I want you to listen to this next verse. Since you would not recognize God's day of visitation, your day of devastation is coming. And then immediately Jesus goes in and clears the temple courts and says, my father's house is to be filled with prayer, a house of prayer, not a cave of bandits. But it says all the while, the high priests and the experts of the law and the prominent men of the city kept trying to find a way to accuse him for they wanted him dead. Isn't that interesting? The very ones who say they want to move of God the most were the same ones critiquing God when he actually showed up. The same ones that wanted to kill the very thing they prayed for. Jesus goes in and disrupts the status quo. Not only does he ride in and make this huge scene, but he comes in and he weeps over the city because he says, you did not see the day of your visitation. You did not recognize me. You didn't recognize the day of visitation, which if you don't recognize the day of your visitation, the moments that God brings to you You can't live in the habitation of that word. You can't live in the reality and the lifelong reality of that thing. Visitation is a visit. But what if God was bringing visitation because he wanted to show up and habitate in that place? And we know that the Lord is going to rule in Jerusalem. This is the calling of the Lord, but he's recognizing they've missed it. They've missed it as soon as it came. They had already missed it. Because here's the truth, you're not going to, it's too late if you try to get oil after. This is Matthew 25. It says that that, that they all fell asleep. None of them expected the move when it came. And I don't look at Matthew 25 as just a return of Christ uh, passage of scripture. I think there's multiple layers there of truth. I believe that when Jesus is talking about visiting us and bringing his kingdom and revival, bringing his kingdom, because revival really is that that extraordinary push, that grace of God, where he's giving us this moment of, of, of time. And if we'll honor it and respond rightly, we can actually steward what he's doing. We have to remember that the same childlike nature, the same childlike eyes it takes to see him when he comes, it is the very same thing that we have to abide in if we're going to have him abide with us and habitate. If we're going to turn visitation into a habitation in our cities, do we want more good meetings or do we want city transformation? Ask ourselves that. We, do we want some good meetings 
where God visits and we burn ourselves out going every night for 30 days of revival and then we're back to, to the normal thing? Or do we want God to, to literally transform our cities? Do we want the kingdom of God to transform the darkest places of our cities? I believe the kingdom of God is to come on the earth as in heaven. And so there are no limits to how much heaven can come. And with that being said, listen, the same intimacy it's going to take to have eyes to see him when he comes and recognize it is the same intimacy it requires for us to sustain what he's doing. And Jesus literally comes in, flips over their tables. He says, look, I want prayer. I don't want to make a business out of this. This, this is about intimacy. This is about prayer. And that's what's going to sustain it. So here we are on 30 days of prayer coming into Bourbon Street, guys. And I just feel in my heart like we're in a moment where we have got to recognize him. If we do not recognize what the Lord is doing, we will reap destruction. He says, do you, if you would have missed your hour of visitation, then you would have avoided the devastation but he says, because you did not see the hour of visitation, you will now have devastation in its place. Devastation will be unleashed because we missed the hour the Lord walked in. And I want to challenge every single leader, every single person in your personal life. When he comes, will you be willing to see it? It might take time. It might take you a minute to, to go, man, is this really God? But I'm telling you, we have got to be prepared because Jesus speaks the woes over our city. And you guys are, are, are not over our cities, but over cities in scripture. Um, you know, he talks about Capernaum and, and I don't know how many of you guys are aware of, of uh, these scriptures, but um, we have to understand that, you know, when Jesus shows up in our midst, there is a necessary response that is required by the city and by the people so that we can actually host this. And I want to, I want to take you to, um, uh, Matthew 11 verse 20. If you go to Matthew 11, verse 20, uh, you'll find that Jesus is actually criticizing the unrepentant cities. He's saying, look, if I would have done in Sodom and Gomorrah what I've done in Capernaum, he said they would have already repented. But because you have not recognized what's among you, you'll be brought down to the depths of hell because of your rejection of me. He says, I tell you the truth, it'll be more bearable for the region of Sodom in the day of judgment than it will be for you. The level of visitation that the Lord brings to our lives, the Lord brings to our families, to our cities, to our nation, the level of of power that is manifest, we are now responsible for. Revival requires a response and it requires the utmost trust and surrender. And at the same time, it requires us to be completely given to what he's called us to do. It will take your whole life. You will not be able to sustain it without your whole life. This isn't, these are daily yeses making up the, the big yes of our life. And I feel like we're, we're in these moments where people are going, well, I've heard God's going to bring revival for years now and it never happens. Maybe it's because 
What if he actually wanted it more than you did? What if he wanted to change you, your family, your city? What if he wanted his kingdom to come even more than you did, but you actually prayed for the very thing that that did come in your midst, but because it didn't come on the on the person you thought it would. It didn't land on the ministry you thought it would. It didn't land on the person who quote unquote deserved it. It didn't look the way you thought revival should look because, well, my God, you've been in revival before. God forbid we get a Brownsville or Toronto or any other move of God. You know, people will come to me all the time. Man, I was in this move of God, man. I was in that move of God, da, 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 da. And Jesus said, the people who drank the old wine never want the new at first. They always say the old is better. It's so hard for us as a people to transition. It's so difficult for us to transition from what God would was doing into what he where he currently is and that is the 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 very definition of religion we will stay in our religious bubbles and paradigms even though they worked before when god is far away from those things now and and will stay and we will rot away and reap devastation and no fresh life of revival no fresh life of the the manifest presence of jesus and the kingdom of god in our midst because we're so in love with our own ideas we've got to divorce our ideas of what this thing looks like. And we have to be in deep abiding intimacy with the Lord. And that is so that when he comes, you don't miss it. You don't, because there there is a missing it. I promise you, there is a missing it. It's all through the word. You can even look in my favorite book of the Song of Solomon. I always think of the Song of Solomon whenever... The, the Lord comes, the Gethsemane man comes in the middle of the night. His locks are drenched with the dew of the night. It represents the, the uncommon hour. It represents that, that late night hour, the early morning hour where it's uncomfortable. I, I, I love it in, in, in Song of Songs, um, you know, uh, verse or chapter five. And, and you can read in chapter five of Song of Songs, he puts his hand to the door. He's knocking. He's saying, will you receive me in this dark night? Will you open the door? And there's a, an apprehension from the bride. There's apprehension from the bride because, and I'm not going into this teaching right now, but um, I, I'll teach on this another time. But she's basically saying, listen, I I'm apprehensive about getting up. And by the time she gets up and opens the door, he is gone. She says, I opened to my beloved, but suddenly he was gone and my heart was torn out and longing for him. I called out for him, but he did not answer me. Listen, if we miss the hour of our visitation, we'll have to abide in that place to where we get so lovesick for him again, where we say, if you ever show up like that again, I'll never, I'll never leave. And I've said those things before and it is been years in between of, of even moments where I go, you know, I don't even know if I want revival. I don't even know what I believe about it anymore, you know, but I'm telling you, man, if, if we can see it when it comes, let's not go through the heartache. Let's lay ourselves bare before him and say, I want you, Jesus, more than anything. I want you and your kingdom in my city more than anything. And I don't want to be the one who rejects you as you're coming in because it offends what I thought it would look like. So this is the drum I'm beating. I feel like we've got to recognize if we don't rec, you know, sometimes recognizing looks like showing up. It looks like honor. It looks like it. It looks like many. It's interesting to me that oftentimes we, we will see, um, 
as many people from outside um, the city of New Orleans and really even the state at times come to this revival when many people in our own city, um, you know, uh, they, 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 they can't get with it. it. It offends them like, well, why do they get revival? Well, is that really revival? So you can either take two things, you can start critiquing it, or, or you can go, well, I'm, I'm secretly jealous, so I'm going to do my own thing, or I'm going to do this. Listen, guys, I've been in every one of those positions, and I'm telling you, w- w- when I experience the true outpouring of His Spirit, I want nothing else. I don't care if I'm seen. I don't care if anyone knows me. I'm fully known inside of his presence. I'm fully alive. I'm fully fulfilled in that place. I don't care where I have to be. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than than a king on a throne. I would rather be in the river of God's move than I would, I'd rather dip my toe in the stream of revival than I would do a hundred million church meetings. I tell the team all the time, I say, you know what? I've done a lot of meetings in my life all over the world the last 13 years. And I can tell you this, I would trade a hundred boring, crappy meetings, church meetings for one night of revival. Maybe more. I might be way, I might wager a few hundred boring church meetings than, than I would for, for one night of, of revival. And, and that's, you don't realize what you're missing until you're, until you're there. I want to encourage you guys to come uh, to our remaining Bourbon Street revivals. Of course, we're going to be going November 1st and 2nd. That's tomorrow and Monday. If you can't make that one, come Thanksgiving weekend. That's the weekend after Thanksgiving, guys. Come on, right after Black Friday. That's going to be the 28th and 29th, Saturday and Sunday nights of November. November 28th, 29th. Come to that the last weekend. And then, of course, in December, we're going to be there the 13th and the 14th. So many incredible things happening. I can't wait to tell you guys about them. We're going to be launching a school 2021. We're launching Jesus in a Bar Tours next year. We're going to, we're building the house of prayer. We're doing our Wednesday nights here. There's so much happening in New Orleans. If you feel called to what we're doing, get a hold of us, follow us, um, come experience what the Lord is doing and take it back to your city, to your town, to your family, and to your churches. Love you guys. We'll see you soon. Jesus, you have.